Well, uh, for the last uh, couple of weeks, we've been looking at a series of messages about generosity entitled The Generous Life. And last week, we made uh, our stewardship commitments for 2020 for the budget for next year or the financial plan of ministry, I like to call it that, more than just a budget because it has ministry within it. So we've been talking about the generous life and what comprises the generous life. And today we'll talk about that in terms of the generosity commitment. An underlying principle in this series on generosity is just simply drawn right out of the scriptures that teaches us so much uh, about money and stewardship and giving and saving and serving God with our money. In fact, there's more about money than there is about any other subject that's so important to us. More about prayer, more about faith, uh, more than uh, more than about heaven or hell combined. Uh, that Jesus teaches us about money. God teaches us all the way through the Bible about money. So the underlying principle of this whole series about the generous life has been this. That if you want to live a blessed life, live a generous life. Now if you didn't make a financial commitment uh, last Sunday, uh, you still can mail your commitment in. Uh, you can bring it by the office. We would appreciate that. And it would be a great thing for you to do because it would be a great discipline for you as a believer to be that as well. Now, why do we have to continue to, uh, to talk about generosity and to talk about creating that culture of generosity? We're talking about get the kind of generosity that gives faithfully and joyfully and cheerfully and obediently uh, to uh, God's commandment about the tithe so that the work of his kingdom can be done here on earth. I've said before in many different times, I've said it in, in this series of messages as well, that I think we do a tremendous job about rising to the occasion to meet special needs. We have families in crisis, we meet those needs. We have community in crisis, we meet those needs. We do a tremendous job with that. But I think we, uh, where, where we fall short is in, in the area of tithing, because there's no way in a church the size that we are that we would be plateaued at our giving for the last 10 years or so between 1.5 and 1.6 million. We're nowhere near our giving potential. And we won't be until more and more people take seriously the challenge from God's Word and the command actually that He gives to us to be faithful with that 10% that He requires from us. Now, why don't we do that? Well, I think maybe two reasons. One is a lot of people have the thought that says, well, that, that kind of giving is for the generous. They have more money and they give for that regularly and they, give, and they give generously and they can do a better job than I can. I think the other is that there's always that fear of not having enough. I mean, you look at that and say, God wants 10% of what I make. He wants 10% of my allowance. He wants 10% of my babysitting money. He wants 10% of my salary. And that's a lot to ask for. I got all these other financial commitments. Well, maybe you got into those other financial commitments before you asked God what it meant to be obedient and how you should manage your money. That's a lot of reason some people can't give is because they're in financial destitute situation because they didn't follow the biblical principles for that. So when we're talking about this concept about uh, the giving and who gives and why do they give, um, I remind you of an article I read about um, uh, an experiment that was done, a survey that was done 30 years ago by investment managers Newberger and Bergman. And they sponsored a survey asking people, how rich is rich? Now you think about that. If you were in a group of people being surveyed and the question was posed to you, how rich is rich, what would you say? How, how would you say that? Well, the consensus among the group of people interviewed was that rich could be defined by having assets of one to five million 
dollars. Well, that's pretty good. Pretty good set of assets, wouldn't you say? And the interesting thing is that the median household assets of those who were surveyed was 500000 Now, in another survey, among those whose assets did range between $1 and $5 million, more than half of them stated that they didn't consider themselves to be wealthy. Now, even though that survey was taken over 30 years ago, I think the attitudes about money haven't changed all that much. I think it's safe to say that the answer to the question, how rich is rich, could simply be, I'm just getting by and anybody who has more than I have is rich. Now, in this time of material abundance, and I think we're probably at the, at the zenith of, of wealth and affluence in our culture like never before. I mean, the Dow market hit over 28,000 this week. Nobody ever really expected to ever see that. Why is it that churches and other charitable organizations are facing a short, short, uh, shortage of funds? Well, um, according to nonprofitsource.com, one of the reasons is, is that Christians today, however you want to classify yourself, churchgoers, Christ followers, Christians, believers, whatever, that we give only 2.5% of our income. And God asks for how much? He asked for 10%. We give 2.5% today on average. During the Great Depression of the 20s and 30s, Christian Americans gave 3.3%. Now, the average giving by adults who attend Protestant churches in America today is about $17 a week. And 37% of regular church attendees don't give anything to the church at all. Now, if $17 is what you give on average, and you say that's a tithe, I'm giving a tithe, then what does that say your income is? I, I think the income level in our church, so it varies. We've got a, a larger scale, I would imagine. I don't know what anybody makes, but just by looking at the demographics of the culture around us, I, I think that, that, will, uh, uh, that would, uh, the, the income would far exceed what what a tithe of $17 a week would generate. Now, something caught my attention this week. It was an article in Christian Post, and it was about finances and giving and, and uh, the top 10 generous uh, cities where Christians live in the United States. It's a very, very eye-opening uh, survey and study that I read. It was done by Barner. And Barner is the California-based organization that's been tracking cultural trends uh, related to values, beliefs, attitudes, and behaviors for over 35 years. And so he, they studied all the states in the United States, and they came up with the most generous states, cities in the states uh, in both giving to nonprofits, that would be like giving to Samaritan's Purse, giving to God's Storehouse, giving to uh, Caring Bridge, you know, giving to Oliver Gospel Mission, Salvation Army, those kinds of things, as well as giving tithes to their local church. And what surprised me is, is where the greatest degree of generosity is. Where would you think the greatest degree of generosity would be? Where would you think? North? South? West? South? The South. Bible Belt? Bible Belt. And we're the most generous. Well, you keep pointing that. Are we pointing to heaven? Where are you pointing? Uh, north? You think up North? 
How about if I told you that the most generous state is Idaho? Idaho. Uh, Idaho is the most generous state when you take into consideration that three cities, Pocatello, Idaho Falls, and Jackson, Idaho, are ranking the top. They're number one for giving both to, to nonprofits and giving to the church. They give the nonprofits averaging about $17,900 a year and $15,000 per person to the churches. Interesting, isn't it? Now, let me give you the up for other, other cities that rank in that top ten for giving to churches. Two towns in Iowa rank second, giving $9,600. Victoria, Texas, we did have one down south. Victoria, Texas, ranked third with Christians giving an average of $8,900. Uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, that's kind of in the Bible Belt as well, came in fourth at $7,900. Las Vegas, Nevada, I never would have thought it, ranked fifth, giving $5,379. I wouldn't have thought there had been that many Christians in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, other cities ranked in this order, North Platte, Nebraska, then Scotts Bluff and Cheyenne, Nebraska, Wheeling, West Virginia, Selma and Montgomery, Alabama, and Nashville, Tennessee rounded out the top ten. Now, that really got my attention, and I just, I, I just struggled with that during the week, and I said, why is, the, why, why is Idaho the most generous state, and, and, and what's behind all that? Well, I got to thinking, looking at the demographics, I had a hunch. I had a hunch. Idaho was right next to Utah, which is also one of the greatest, one of the, the most generous uh, states. Who, who populates, what, what religious people populate that area more than any other group? Mormons, that's right. So, I went to Wallet Hub Report, and this is what I found out. That yes, one of the reasons that Idaho is the number one generous state is because of the Mormon influence. They have, that's one of the largest groups of population within their state. And Mormons, 88% of Mormons tithe. That is far and above what Southern Baptists tithe. 88% of Mormons tithe. A second factor is they not only tithe to their local church or tabernacle or whatever they call it, is that they also were actively involved in social causes. They gave to nonprofits and they were involved in social causes, like we have done, like with the meal packing event and, and supporting the carrying bridge and other things that we do. But here's the third reason that Wallet Hub said Idaho was the most generous state. And that is that they found that it was a lower average income state than the other states in the United States. You get that? Not a high average of income, but a low average of income. And the writer says the Chronicle found that low income people tend to donate a much higher percentage of what they make than wealthy people. So that destroys your myth that says, you know, I, I, I can't give, I can't tithe because that's for the wealthy people to do. Baloney. It never has been true. You look through the Bible and you will find that it was those who least could afford it who did it. What did the widow give? The poor widow that Jesus watched put her money in her offer. What did she give? She gave everything she had. And people say, well, I don't want to tithe because that's Old Testament. I give by the New Testament. I said, okay, here's the pot. Give everything you got. 
under grace. I give by grace. And what does that mean? Well, they can't define that for me. So what's the best, what's the best standard for us to go by? It's God's word. Let's look at it. This is a familiar passage of scripture should be out of Malachi 3. For most believers today, you mentioned Malachi 3, and they immediately think what? That's Tyler. He's going to talk about money today. That's right. I am. Malachi 3, beginning in verse 6. This is the word of God. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land says the Lord Almighty. Now let's break that passage of Scripture down into three teachable points. Number one, let's look at what God has to say about His complaint, God's complaint. What was God's complaint? That's very simple, isn't it? The people were robbing Him. That's God's Word, not mine. Some preacher didn't make this up. Even somebody with a prosperity preaching that they do didn't make that up. God said that. You're robbing me because you're not giving me the tithes and offerings. And, and those words are what we use all the time. We pray regularly for God to bless the tithes and offerings that we give. 10% is the tithe. Offerings are what we give above and beyond that. Some of you give 10%. Some of you give 12, 14, 15%. You know, it, it, I, I, and I was asking between services, is that off of gross or is that off of net? And I said, I, I tithe off of gross because I think that's it. The Bible talks about first fruits giving. And I think that's what you do. You tithe off of the gross. In God's Word, He talks about bring the tithe into the storehouse. That's your local place where you worship. This is it. This is your storehouse. Back then, that was the concept where the grain was stored, when people would need it. So would you take your money, that, the grain that was supposed to be for your people and your town, and go put it in several different storehouses throughout the country? No, you would put it where you would benefit from that. That's the whole concept of storehouse tithing is to bring it all that 10% to your church. You remember Spring Valley? This is where your 10% ought to come. Now beyond that, you've got 90% God leaves you to give offerings to other places to support them. That's the way I interpret the scripture. We love to get God's guidance on issues in life, don't we? How about Proverbs 3, 5 through 6? Have we faced with a decision? We've got, we got a decision we've got to make. We need God's wisdom. We go to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Well, how about just a few verses down? Well, the wisdom of Proverbs says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. 
Now, you've got to recognize, of course, that this is talking to an agricultural society back then. They paid, they bartered, they lived, they bought and sold according to what they produced from their harvest. And so he's talking about bring the best and the first of your fruits of the harvest into the God's storehouse. Exodus 23, 19 says, bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Leviticus 27.30 says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So here is the spiritual principle for giving first to God the way he asked us to do. I will give God my first and my best so that he can bless the rest. See, God's complaint was his people weren't tithing and giving offerings. You can solve that dilemma by giving God your first and your best so that he can bless the rest. You see, when you do that in faith and you say, okay, I'm giving 10%, that only leaves me 90%, but I got all this financial obligation, well, you ask God to bless it. You ask God to give you wisdom. You ask God to give you prioritization as to how to spend and manage your money. You give him the first and the best so he can help you manage the rest. Bless and rest, okay? So that's God's complaint. They weren't bringing the tithes and offerings. Secondly, here's God's command. How do you solve that? He says, bring the tithe into my storehouse. Today we can still understand that. That's the storehouse where God's ministry takes place. In the Old Testament, it was in the temple. In the New Testament, it's through the local church. And God expects us to bring our tithe to where we are members. Now, some people today say, well, that's an Old Testament concept. It's not taught in the New Testament. Well, Jesus did not come and, and abolish the tithing. He didn't have a whole lot to say about it. because He just simply talked about being generous. And it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he praised the widow that we've already talked about because she gave everything. But in, in Luke eleven forty two, there is an incident where Jesus refers to the tithe. He's speaking to the Pharisees who were legalistic to the letter of the law. And he said, Woe to you Pharisees, because you give a tenth, that's the tithe, of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. That is, they were giving from that agricultural background. But, he says, you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, that is, the love of God, without leaving, without leaving, hear that, without leaving the former, which is the tithe, undone. See, Jesus did not abolish the tithe. He said, don't leave it undone. And I think where Jesus speaks, we ought, we ought to believe it and we ought to follow that. I believe in giving the first 10% as the tithe. And we make it easier for you to give than ever before. Envelopes come to you by mail. You can write a check, put it in there, bring it on Sundays and put it in as an act of worship. That's what I do. You can mail it in. You can bring it by the office. You got electronic bank transfer. We got online giving. It's never been easier for you to give. But that's not the issue how you give. The issue is why do you give? And there are three basic levels of that. The first level is the one that says, well, I have to. I have to. Now, that's like the Jews in the Old Testament gave on that level. It was a law like paying taxes, and they said, well, we have to do this. You know, I really believe if you grudgingly put your money in the offering plate or you grudgingly write a check, I don't think God's going to bless that. I don't think God's going to bless you. 
because you're doing it because you feel like you have to do it. Then the second level is that which says, well, I ought to do it. You know, the Bible says I ought to do it, so I guess I ought to do it. And you still aren't very excited and happy about it, are you? And then the third level of giving is where you say, I want to do it. I want to do it. Oh, boy, here comes the offering plate. It's time to write my tithe check. That ought to be a joyous experience that God has blessed you financially and you can write a tithe check or put money in there or, or make a contribution however you're going to do it, whatever means you use. We should give obediently, faithfully, generously, and cheerfully. We should have a desire to participate in the kingdom of God. Why? Simply because we love Jesus, because of what he has done for us. That's God's command. That's how we solve that dilemma. So let me check, give you now thirdly. This is God's challenge to you. In Malachi 3.10, we read something you won't find anywhere else in the Bible. And that is that God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Nowhere else in the Bible does God say, test me. In fact, the Bible always tells us you should not test the Lord your God. But this is the one place that God says, test me. Prove me. Give the 10% and see what I do. What happens? There are three things. Look at verse 10. When he says, bring the whole tithe that there may be food in my house. He says, I will, open, throw, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Those are blessings outpoured that God promises. Listen, it does not mean extra money shows up in your bank account. It does not mean that dollar bills or pennies or nickels or quarters rain down from heaven. Sometimes God blesses you financially that way. But what it does mean is that you find that God blesses you in so many ways that you just have to fall on your knees and praise Him. Second thing is found in verse 11. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. He's talking about the fact that pests will be prevented. How do we relate that today? He was relating that to the agricultural society. Well, you ever had the experience that you finally step out and you say, okay, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to start giving regularly, faithfully, generously. And then all kind of little pests start getting into, into your life system, right? That's when the car breaks down, the refrigerator goes out, the freezer goes out, the TV goes out. Well, you can't live without that, right? Or the internet is out or something happens. God says that he will, he will prevent the pests. That's his promise, not mine. There will be some challenges that will come. And it's a challenge for you to trust God for the wisdom to how to handle the rest of the 90% when you give him the 10. And then the third thing he says is found in verse 12. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That simply means that when the blessings are outpoured and the pests have been prevented, then the enjoyment will be restored into your life. I mean, we will be a blessed land. We'll be a delightful land. And people will look at us and say, you are blessed. You are blessed. That's part of the abundant life that we experience when we give our life to Jesus Christ. So let me wrap it up with three points that we'll make as we conclude about the value, practical value of giving your tithe 
to the storehouse, okay? Number one, tithing provides for God's work through his church. That's why I like to call our budget a financial plan of ministry because that is a plan for ministry. It's more than just getting money to to keep the buildings warm in in winter and cool in summer. It's more than just buying uh, the literature for your life group class. It's more than just paying the staff. It's more than paying electric bills and all the insurance and everything else that we have to do, maintaining the buildings, maintaining the grounds, all of that. Yeah, that's a part of it. But there's ministry woven through every aspect of that budget for us to be able to reach people who are far from God with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So tithing provides for God's work through his church. Secondly, tithing teaches us to put God first. Exodus 20, verses 2 through 3 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. When you tithe and give God the first 10% of your income, you will learn to trust God, right? Because that only leaves you 90%. Well, you're used to spending 110 or 120%. It puts him first, and you learn to trust him. We put God first. And then thirdly then, Tithing increases our faith in God. We put him first. We've got to trust him to manage the 90%. It increases our faith. We go give him 10%. That whole 10% he asked for. And we're going to trust him. We have more faith in him. As we give him that 10% regularly and faithfully. Let me give you a challenge. Let me give you a challenge. You can start this week or you can wait till January 1st. Whatever. But I'll give you a challenge. If you're not a tither, if you're not giving 10% or more, if you're not a tither, commit for a year to tithe. Give God that first 10%. You might have to sit down and go through your budget. If you've got a budget, see that, that's an issue. Go through your income and your outgo and figure how we're going to do this 10%. But make a commitment to give God 10%, try it for a year, and see if God doesn't bless you. His word says he will. And God does not contradict his word. Very simple challenge. Very simple challenge. Give freely. That's the theme of our stewardship commitment. Give freely. Give regularly. Give faithfully. Give obediently. But above all, give generously. Because you simply love God and you love Jesus. Father, we thank you for meeting all of our needs in life. Thank you for providing everything that we need. We thank you for the salvation you give to us. We thank you for meeting our spiritual needs. We thank you for meeting our physical needs. We pray now to have the faith to trust you, to be obedient to your command, and to give to you that 10%. And I pray, Father, for these who, who do support this church through their tithes and their offerings, that you will continue to bless them. And I pray for those who, who might take the challenge today to begin tithing and try you, trust, test you for a year that you will prove faithful to them as you say in your word. Father, we, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus so that we might give freely as he gave himself freely for us. And we pray that for your holy name. Amen.